So if it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor around here. Welcome. Appreciate you giving us an hour of your time. I won't be speaking for an hour. I'm just going to be the entire day. Um, but this is a great day for you to visit because we are in part two of our series that we're calling Let's Try This Again. It's not week two. It's part two. As we talked about last week, this is kind of a new thing for us this church. We're doing a series that builds on itself. And so if you weren't here last week, if you didn't get a chance to go back and listen, you should. If you haven't yet, you're going to be fine for today. But moving forward, if you want to kind of join us on this journey and get the most out of it, you should try to stick with us as much as you can. But essentially what we're talking about in this series is our faith. And last week we spent more time talking about it, but it's this idea that many of us, I could just speak for the Christians in the room, many of us got our faith when we were children. And as we kind of got into adulthood, adult life, the pressures, the trials, the tribulations, the this, the that, it began to impact our faith. It began to sort of chip away at it and chip away and chip away, sometimes to such a degree that it has left us with almost no faith at all, almost just kind of a, a shell of a faith, and, and we're just holding on, trying to support our childhood faith rather than allowing our childhood faith to support us. And so what we're doing throughout the course of this series is we're basically asking the question, well, what would it look like if we were to rebuild our faith as adults? If we were to say, all right, let's just time out, let's hit the reset, let's, let's try this again, and, and let's try to almost reinstall the operating system of Christianity, just from scratch. And so our goal is to give you a firm foundation. A faith that will not only withstand the pressures of adulthood, but that will actually thrive. And so last week, as we kind of kicked off the whole thing, we kind of asked the question, well, what if we knew nothing, where would we start? I mean, if we are starting from scratch, if we're wiping the slate clean, and what if we knew nothing? What if we knew nothing about Jesus, nothing about Christianity? What if we had never heard of, of the New Testament? What would that conversation look like? And so to facilitate that discussion, we took a look at an account found in the book of Acts, uh, and it was a time when Paul went into Athens and had a conversation with some very brilliant philosophers, some, some brilliant Athenian philosophers, and he was trying to educate them about God and about Jesus, and it was all brand new. They had not heard any of this before, and in fact, Paul couldn't say, well, you know, the Bible says, because the Bible had not been written yet. And what he taught them and what we learned last week is that the foundation of our Christian faith is actually a question. That question is, who is Jesus? This is the question that we're all going to have to answer if we want to restart our faith. Now, there's a lot of questions that sort of, you know, revolve around Christianity. We're all kind of, we've got a bunch of questions. We've got questions about the Bible. You've got questions about how old, you know, how long did it take for the, the, you know, the earth to be made? Was it six days? Was it seven days? Was it, you know, four and a half billion years? How long did, all great questions, all valid questions. None of those questions are foundational to your faith. The only question that's foundational to your faith is, who is Jesus? And we're going to answer that question in a couple of weeks. But if this is sort of the most important question, okay, today what I want to talk to you about is the most important word. Now, this word is, I would say primarily, but almost at this point, only used in the context of, of religion. And if you're looking to restart your faith, which we are doing, or perhaps some of you maybe even start your faith for the very first time, this is a word that we're going to have to talk about. Um, and I would just say this, this word or concept, rather, 
more than any other word or concept, is, is a word that we as humans push back against and try to avoid. So the word that we have to talk about today is sin. Now, I could say this word like sin, but our brains hear it as sin, okay? Because it's like this super heavy word, and when we hear this word sin, we think immediately condemnation. We think sin equals condemnation. Sin is like a, it's like a death sentence. Sin puts a bullseye right on our backs. And, and so we, we want to like mitigate, you know, we want to get rid of, lessen these feelings of, of judgment and condemnation. And so what we've done, I don't know if you've seen this, but we've actually stopped using the word sin and, and we're beginning to use a different word. Now this other word does a couple of things. Number one, right off the bat, it, it sort of removes that judgment that we feel, kind of removes that, that sense of condemnation that we feel, and it absolutely pulls the bullseye right off our back. But there's a problem with this word. The problem is it's no good, and, and, and it really does us an injustice. And I think while it may make us feel better, in the long run, it's actually doing a lot of damage. And so what we've done is we've replaced the word sin with the word mistake. Now, You've heard people use this word before. Perhaps you yourself use it. And, and, you know, for example, sometimes maybe a, a guy will get caught, or a woman, it doesn't really matter, gets caught in a, a year-long affair. Years long. This, the affair has been going on, and they, get, and they get busted. Or someone gets busted for embezzling money from their business. And, and when they finally get caught, what do they say? They go, oh, I'm sorry. That was a mistake. That was a mistake. And you're like, oh, man, that was not a mistake. Okay, a mistake is like what you do on a math test. Now, your mistake is leaving your car, you know, your, your keys locked in your car. But what you did, that, that was not a mistake. But we have now sort of mainstreamed this word mistake. We, it has fully entered into the lexicon, if you will, of, of sort of our, our, our moral behavior. So to kind of gauge the temperature in the room, don't raise your hand because I already know the answers. Um, let me just ask this question to you. How many of you have made mistakes in your past? Okay. We'd all raise our hands, because if you didn't, we'd look at you and go, what are you, Mother Teresa? All right, raise your hand. And so we raise our hands, because we're very comfortable with sin. Sin's not a problem. I mean, uh, we're comfortable with mistakes. It's not a problem, right? We, we know that humans mess up. We know they make mistakes. And it's just, this, this mistake thing is not a problem. Very, very comfortable. But if I were to say, okay, keep your hands raised, let me ask you a follow-up question. How many of you have sinned in your past? And I think slowly a lot of those hands would kind of go down, and you're looking around to see who's going to actually raise their hand. Because we don't want to be associated with that work, right? We don't want to have sin, you know, attached to us in any sort of way. And that's why we use this word mistake. And part of the reason that we love the word mistake is because a mistake allows us to sort of plead ignorance. We could sort of go, oops, I didn't know any better. I just, I just I'm sorry, I just I made a mistake. I, 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 just, I, just, didn't, I just didn't know. And it reminds me of this scene in Seinfeld. I don't know if you watch Seinfeld. We love that, you know, show around here. One time, George gets caught having an affair with the cleaning lady in his office. And the next day, he gets pulled into the boss's office. And he goes, was that wrong? I mean, should I not have done that? I tell you, I got to plead ignorance on this thing. Because if anyone has said anything to me when I first started here that this kind of thing is frowned upon. Okay, let me tell you something. This is what God hears you say every time you call sin a mistake. This is what he hears, okay? But like, so you may not know this, but God sees everything you do. This is not like he's got, um, he's omnipotent and omniscient and omni, so nothing's getting by him. But he hears us saying these things. And, and 
one of the things that he sees us doing a lot, he sees that sometimes we actually make mistakes on purpose. Oh, I just, I just forgot to pay tax on, you know, that particular part of my income. Just, just a mistake. Oops, sorry, forgot to do that. Or sometimes God sees that sometimes we plan our mistakes. So, for example, you're married. And uh, let's just say you're a guy because I'm a guy. So you're scrolling through Instagram, and all of a sudden, you see a picture of your ex. And, oh, she looks nice. You know what? It would be nice of me just to give her a like. And just, you know, that's it. And, and what do you know? She responds back. And by accident, you slide into her DM, and you guys start talking. Just by accident. I don't know how this happened. All of a sudden, we're talking. And you're catching up on all times. And, and all of a sudden, by accident, you've now bought a plane ticket to go visit her up in New Jersey or wherever, the, wherever she might be. It's just a mistake, though. I just didn't, I didn't mean this. Here's the deal. If we're being honest with ourselves, I mean really, really being honest with ourselves, we seem to make the same mistakes repeatedly over and over and over and over and over. And, you know, you wake up on a Saturday morning, you kind of look at yourself in the mirror, and you go, why can't I just do what I know I'm supposed to do? But you just made a mistake. And the nice thing about mistakes is that you can, you can just correct mistakes, and so you attempt to correct yourself. And what do you do? You start listening to podcasts, and you start buying some self-help books. But for some reason, you're unable to correct these mistakes in your life. And all the while, these mistakes are, you know, destroying your marriage. These mistakes are, you know, shipwrecking your career. They're wrecking your reputation. They're, somehow these mistakes are racking up tons of debt. And maybe for some of you, your mistakes have landed you in jail. Okay? It's a problem. But as you begin to evaluate your life and your decisions and these mistakes, it becomes uncomfortably clear that there is something going on that is deeper than just a mistake. Now, as we seek to rebuild our faith in this series, I think at least today, we're going to have to start getting comfortable with the notion that maybe, just maybe, we might be sinners. Okay? I know we don't like that word, but if we're going to have a real go at this, at restarting our faith, we might just have to, maybe, I'm not saying it's you, I'm just saying there might be a slight possibility that you might be a sinner. So to have this conversation, I want to give you two definitions of the word sin. I want to give you a theological one, and then I want to give you a sort of a working definition that's a little easier to swallow. So when you're reading the New Testament and you come across the word sin, okay, what those guys actually wrote was the word hamartia. Here's the word, right? Isn't that impressive? I can put Greek up here. There it is, okay? Now, when they wrote this word, their definition of sin, and it had a definition, was to miss the mark. This is the definition of the word sin when they write sin. This is what they're saying in Greek. Now, this is a word picture. Let me explain to you what this picture is. God has an ideal for this world. For everything in it, including us and behaviors and actions and thoughts, he has an ideal. It's a mark, as they described it, or a target. Think of a bow and arrow. Now, when we live our life and we sort of fire the arrow of our life at God's mark, at that target, there are going to be times when we don't miss it. That means to miss the mark. And when you've missed the mark, that means that you have sinned in God's eyes. Now, this is a very, very large concept that is encompassing all kinds of stuff. And frankly, it's just too big for us today in the conversation, introductory as it is, that we're trying to have. So an easier definition for us to sort of work with today is this idea that sin is to know better but to do it anyway. 
I understand before you write any emails, I know this is a little, you know, light, but this will be helpful for what we're doing today. It's to know better, but to do it anyway. So Jesus, not surprisingly, had a lot to say about sin. And what's interesting is that when Jesus spoke about sin, he focused on restoration and not condemnation, which is interesting because we as humans, when we talk about sin, we focus on condemnation, not restoration. Because we have been taught or we have led ourselves to believe that God is out to get sinners, that God hates sinners, that God sends sinners to hell. And that's why we avoid the word sin. That's why we do whatever we can to avoid that word because we don't want any part of that. Now, John, who's one of the disciples of Jesus, who's actually called one of Jesus' best friends, he says something very interesting about God and Jesus. He says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Fascinating. He goes, Jesus was not sent into this world to condemn you for your sins. I know that's what you might think. That's not why God sent him, though. He goes, he sent him to save the world through him. And this might be eye-opening for some of you to realize that Jesus wasn't sent to condemn you for all the bad things that you've done. Now, when Jesus kind of talks about sin, he paints a picture. And the picture that he paints is that sin breaks relationships. Now, we as humans know this because you may have had a relationship or you've had a friendship and an offense has taken place. I don't know what it is. Something happened and now that relationship is broken, okay? And there's a distance between you and that loved one, you and that friend, but something happened and now there's a distance between you and you. The relationship is broken. And because you want to, you know, restore that relationship, you go to them and you kind of call them out on what they did and their response is, sorry, 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 okay? Or maybe you're a parent in the room and your kid is messed up and, and you call them out on it and they go, sorry, okay? Like it's your fault, okay? Now, we've all, we've all said that, okay? Sorry, Ugh, go away. Um, now let me ask you a question. Do you feel any better? No. Has, has the relationship been restored because of that apology? No, because what are you looking for? You're looking for that person, the offender, A, to recognize the offense and, and to take ownership of the offense. That's what you want to see if this relationship is going to be restored between the two of you. Now, when Jesus is kind of talking to us, he's painting the picture that similarly, our sin has broken our relationship with God. Now, according to John, Jesus was sent here to this earth specifically to repair this relationship. But he can only do it if we acknowledge that we are sinners. And that's where it gets tricky, because we don't want to do that. We don't want to to use those words. We don't want that sin word attached to us in any way. And this is why, I'll tell you this, in my, you know, time in ministry, there's one question that I get asked more than any other question, and it's this. Hey, is X a sin? Okay. Is, 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 hey, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Is, uh, is this a sin? Okay. And here's the deal. It's never like forgetting to return your library book, all right? With this crowd, you can imagine the questions I get, a bunch of deviants, all right? No, I'm kidding. But you, we've all asked this question. You either asked a friend, maybe you went to someone at your church, maybe you Googled it, but at some point, you're kind of looking at your behavior and your actions, and you're going, am I sinning? Like, is this a sin? So here's the thing. If you've asked this question, 
Or if you're a person who is frequently asking this question, you actually have a goal by asking this question. Your goal is not to get closer to God. Your goal is to get closer to sin. See, when you ask this question, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find out exactly where's the line. Where's the line? Because where, where? I want to get as close to that line of sin, right? You want to get like a close, you want to cantilever over the line. I want to do as much as I can before I sort of step in to the realm of sin. It's because we as humans love lines. We love boundaries. We love clear-cut categories because it lets us know when we're in trouble and when we're not. It's actually why we love the American law system. There's clear definitions to know when you've done something wrong and when you haven't. And so we know here is this, whatever you want to call it, and we can just really get near that without actually getting in trouble. Now, at one time um, in my prior life, I was actually involved with law at some level. And I was in a meeting one time where the head attorney was talking to his team because they were preparing for a trial. And I'll never forget it. He looks at his team and he goes, here's what I need. Don't tell me what the law says. Tell me where I can take it. Anybody can open up the law and they can read what the law. I'm not interested in that. I need you to tell me where I can take that law to work for our client's advantage. See, what he's asking is, find me a loophole. Find me a loophole so that we can use this for our advantage. Now, this is us when we call sin by any other name than sin. We're trying to find a loophole. Now, because Jesus is opposing counsel, if you will, there comes a time when he's having a conversation. He wants us to realize there's, there's no loophole. You could try all you want, but you're not going to get away from this word sin. And in one of his most famous sermons, in the Sermon on the Mount, he has a very interesting conversation with a group of people that are well acquainted with laws and sort of dancing around them, if you will. He says, you have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. Now, at this point, sort of the men in the audience are going, yes, Jesus, we know that. And I have never cheated, you know, sort of kissing his wife's hand, on my wife. You should know that. And he goes, great, that's wonderful, but you, you, you jumped me, so sit down, let me, let me finish. He goes, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. At this point, the guy's like, I'm sorry, what was that? He's like, oh, you just, I know we're outside, it's loud. No, what I'm saying is if, you know, if you're at the gym and you look at a girl, mm -hmm, okay, or if you're on Instagram and you're scrolling and you stop on a picture for more than like a nanosecond, you need to understand that in, in God's mind, you, you've, already, you've already committed adultery. Meanwhile, everybody in the crowd is looking like this guy, okay? They're all, <laughs> okay? And you're just like, just great news. I'm really, thank you, Jesus. I'm happy to hear this very much. This is what I all wanted to hear. Now, Jesus is not done here. He's like, get your happy shoes off, to quote my grandmother, okay? He goes, you have heard it said to our people long ago, you must not murder anybody. Now, at this point, you've sort of figured out Jesus' MO, and you're going, what's he going to say now, okay? What is, where's he going with this? But I say, if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you will be judged. He's saying, you have to understand that in, in God's eyes, if if, if you're thinking about revenge, if you've, if you've cursed that person off, even in your own head, if you're sort of plotting their demise, you've already committed murder in God's mind. And I was thinking about this week, sort of what he's saying here. Do you know where I do most of my murdering? In the shower. So I'm the king of shower arguments. I don't know if you do that. But by the time I've already done washing my hair, 
I've stacked up like three, okay? It's the, my wife goes, don't make them paint a picture of you washing their hair. Whatever, I did it, okay? I, this is where, I, by the time the shower's done, I could barely get out of the shower. There's so many dead bodies all around me. But you do this too. This is what we all do. We're all murdering people left and right in our heads. With, and you hear what Jesus is saying here, and you're going, we're doomed. This is it. We're doomed. But the, I mean, like, we thought we were behind the eight ball before. That's what we came up with, like, the mistake thing. But now, I mean, now that it's it. It's over. Because you've got God in the flesh over there letting us know that we've already committed adultery by looking at something. Where do we go from here, Jesus? What are you trying to tell us? Now, there's good news. Because what Jesus does is he goes, here's what you have to understand. I'm here for the doomed people. In fact, I'm only here for the doomed people. So, I think he would say, is there any doomed person in the audience? And at this point, they're kind of like, well, I want what he's got. But then it means I got to admit that I'm doomed. And if I admit that I'm doomed, that means that I, I've sinned. And I, I, just, I, just, I just don't know if I want to do that. See, what Jesus wants every single person in that crowd and every single person here to know is that God loves doomed people. And this is a truth that you don't expect to hear. But there's a catch. We don't get to experience God's love until we admit that we're doomed. See, we'll admit all day long that we're mistakers. But mistakers don't need forgiveness because you can just correct a mistake. Jesus is saying, "Mm, I hate to burst your bubble, but you're a sinner. You, you, You can dance around it all you want. You can call it whatever you want, but this is what you are. And your relationship with God, I I can't help you with that until I hear you utter the words, I have sinned. Now, to sort of drive home this point as to what Jesus is trying to do in our life by repairing this relationship with God the Father, he tells perhaps what is his most famous story ever. So he looks at the crowd and he says, one time, he's making this story up, one time, There was a father who had two sons. And one day, the one son, the younger son, goes to the dad and says, Dad, here's the deal. Um, I want my inheritance now, so can we pretend you're dead? So basically what he says, and amazingly, the dad goes, Okay, here you go. Here's Here's your half of my vast fortune. And this younger son, he takes this vast fortune. Scripture says he goes to a foreign land called Vegas, whatever you want. Scripture says that he blows it all on booze and women. That's what it's, that's not their words, that's my words, but it says, you know, wild partying, prostitutes, and, and he wastes it all. Now, we don't know how long this went on, if it's days, weeks, months, years. All we know is that it got so bad that he became destitute, broke, no food, no place to sleep, and he's just wandering the streets, and one day he walks past these pigs, and th- these pigs are eating this food that he kind of describes as pods, And he thinks to himself, hmm, that's looking pretty good right now. And and it dawns on him, wait, how did I bring myself so low that I'm now thinking about eating pig food? And he's like, my dad's got servants who have a place to sleep. They got food to eat, and I'm here doing this? And he goes, you know, maybe, just maybe, if I go home and I admit to my dad, that I've sinned against him, that I've sinned against God, maybe he'll take me back. 
He's not going to bring me in the house. The relationship has changed. But maybe he'll make me a servant, so at least I've got a bed to sleep in and food to eat. And so the son went to his father. Now, when the original audience heard this, they knew this was a parable. They understood that the father in this story was God. And they understood that the son in this story was somebody that has done something so bad that the relationship could never be restored. Because at this point, Jewish law said that if this son did this, the father actually was supposed to stone the son to death. So this is a big deal. The story continues. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt sorry for his son. So the father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. So the dad was so thrilled to see that the son was making his way back home. He didn't wait around. He ran to his son. Now, this is interesting that this is in here. Because remember, Jesus is making this story up. And he included the fact that the father ran. Now, that might not mean anything to you. But in Jewish culture at that time, it was wildly inappropriate for a grown man to run. Because they would wear robes. They would, would have to pick their robes up, exposing their ankles to run. And that was culturally a no-no. But Jesus put this in there. Because I believe, I believe that we need to expect God to act in unexpected ways when we admit our sin. See, we think as humans that if we admit our sin, that God's going to come down on us like a ton of bricks. And he's going to strike you dead. But Jesus paints this picture that's just quite the opposite, that, that God the Father actually runs to you, something you would never expect. Continues. The son said, now remember, the son's not saying anything. Jesus is saying all this. Jesus is creating this story. And so what's happening here is Jesus, God himself, is creating a, a handbook, a playbook, a transcript, if you will. And he's handing to us. And he goes, this is what we want to hear you say. This is what I and the Father want to hear you say. He goes, Father, I've sinned against God and against you. He says, I have, I have sinned. There's, there's no excuses. He didn't say, you know, uh, my therapist told me. He, he, he didn't say, oh, oh, everybody's doing it. He owned up to his sins and he took responsibility for it. He said, I have sinned. Now, for some of us in this audience, for some of us watching online, for some of us listening right now to podcasts, you may have never said those three words in your entire life. I have sinned. You may have gotten close, but then you put a spin on it. But that's what Jesus wants to hear. And Jesus continues the story. The son says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's saying, Dad, I realize that our relationship has been broken. And I recognize it's my fault. I recognize that this broken relationship is all because of my sin. Now this next part is incredible. But the father said to his servants, hurry, bring the best clothes, put them on him, also put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The son just comes clean to the dad. The dad says nothing to the son. The dad immediately goes to the servants. He goes, get him the best of everything. Whatever we got, put it on him. And I imagine the servants are going, wait, 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 hold on, wait. You, you don't want to ask him where he's been? No. 
You don't, you don't want to make him beg and plead and come crawling. No, I'm not interested in that. You don't want to tell him that you told him this was going to happen. No, I'm not. Why? Why don't you want to hear any of this stuff? Because my son has recognized what he needs to recognize if we're going to be restored. See, if my son walked in here and said, Dad, sorry. Dad, I made a mistake. Everyone's doing it. You know, that culture that I lived in over there, they didn't view what I was doing as a sin, okay? But he owned up to it, and he took responsibility for it, and he said, I have sinned. The dad continues. He goes, my son was dead, but now he's alive again. I mean, he, he, he wasn't dead, but he wasn't with me, and now he's with me. He was lost. I mean, we knew where he was, but he wasn't with me, but now he's with me. So, they began to celebrate, which is amazing. Why were they celebrating? Because a relationship that had been broken by sin, a distance that had been created by sin, had now been repaired because the son recognized what he had done and had taken responsibility for it. Now, here's why this is so important for us as we're beginning to sort of, you know, restart our faith, if you will. We think... The recognition of sin is the pathway to condemnation. That's why we avoid the word sin. That's why we call it a mistake. That's, that, that's why we kind of say things like, well, the Bible got it wrong on this one. You know, whatever this thing is, the, you know, the Bible got everything else right, but on this thing, mm, they're wrong. And so we're trying to find as many loopholes as we can to avoid that feeling of condemnation. But Jesus teaches us something different. He teaches us that the recognition of sin paves the way restoration. This is what God himself tells us. But we try to cover up who we really are, a sinner. But Jesus is saying, you need to embrace who you really are, a sinner, if you're going to become who I want you to become. So what's practical? First time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want you to leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So because this is a long journey that we're going on, I want to ask you a couple of questions that you can sort of meditate on, talk to you know, a group, whatever the case may be. But some of these questions are going to be difficult for some of you. And I just, I just want to encourage you to do the best that you can to work through these. So, so the first one is this. How do you push back against sin? Meaning... What's that area in your life? What's that thing? What's that behavior? What's that whatever that you have made a decision that this isn't a sin? We'll call it a mistake, okay? Like I said before, the Bible might call it a sin, but you've said the Bible's wrong on it. What is this area in your life that you've made a decision that this thing is not a sin? I'm going to call it everything else but that. And yet for some reason... Even though you've put a spin on it, you just can never seem to find peace, total peace, in that area of your life. Secondly, what's your goal by avoiding it? I mean, once you've kind of put a pinpoint on it, once you've kind of put a spotlight on that thing, that behavior, that thought pattern, whatever the case, whatever that might be, what is your goal by avoiding it and calling it anything other than sin? 
Are you trying to get closer to God? Are, are you trying to better your life? Or are you trying to do whatever you want to do? Even though God has said that he wants more from you. So this week, as you're wrestling around with this most important word that we need to understand if we're going to restart our faith, remember what Jesus said, that acknowledging sin is the start of something great, not the ending. It's just the beginning. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today and have a discussion that's not easy. Sin has been a problem in this world for humans since day one. It's something that we push back against. It's something that we avoid saying, but the reality is that it is real, and it's something that every single one of us struggle with. Lord, I pray that today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would give us all the courage to admit what we actually are, sinners. God, you sent your son into this world not to condemn this world, but to save this world. Your son died on the cross not just to forgive us of our sins, but to set us free from the power of sin. So, Lord, I pray that today you would give us the power to recognize that force in our life, to call it what it is, sin. Because when we utter those three words, I have sinned, then and only then, can you begin to restore that broken relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.